Welcome to Pl- Playback by Playlister, the bi-weekly podcast where you can stay current on technology and leadership ideas that impact you. Here's today's host and Playlister CEO, Grant Glass. I am here with Sean at Battleback Church today, and Battleback is, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, is based out of California. They see on average a weekly attendance of around 20,000 people. Um, Sean has been with Saddleback for a good amount of time, and we're happy to have him on the show. Yeah, Grant, thanks so much, man, for, for reaching out to make this conversation happen. I'm uh, really excited to, to answer some of the questions you got for me today. Yeah, so I gave a brief uh, overview of Saddleback, but perhaps tell us a little bit more about the organization. Gosh, there's, I could probably spend a good amount of time on this. I'll just kind of share a few highlights, man. There's, there's a lot that I really love about this church family and, and the staff team at Saddleback Church. I think for one, our, our church family is extremely ethnically diverse. You're often going to hear Pastor Rick refer to Saddleback as an all-nation congregation, uh, so to speak. Mm. That's, I don't know if he came up with that or not, but I'm sure he did because he's got a lot mm. of those little, little things. But I believe, I think the last time we checked, we have about 67 different languages that are spoken amongst our membership and, and attenders, which is pretty, pretty incredible. So we're, we're really a melting pot of diversity, which is one of the things that we love celebrating about Saddleback. I think another thing about Saddleback, uh, just our, we have a strong volunteering culture. We, we believe that every member's Every member at Saddleback is a minister, which means that our paid staff's responsibility is not to do the ministry, but to equip and empower and really release those that are part of the church family to use their gifts and talents to serve in ministries in the church, inside the church, and then also outside of the walls of the church within the community. And the cool thing, specifically within our children's ministry, which is my area of, of oversight at Saddleback, Saddleback Kids has, and we have about 2,000 volunteers that serve in various ways across all our campuses on a weekly basis, whether that's on a weekend at our kids services or during our midweek discipleship program that we have too. Yeah, the 2,000 volunteers, I want to bookmark that because I'm sure that's amazing, fantastic that you've got all those folks that want to help. I'm sure that also creates quite the logistical challenge, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to here you kind of talk through how you communicate to them. Let's bookmark that because I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it. Now, yeah. you've been uh, leading, like, as a children's pastor for a better part of, it, like, almost a decade, Sean. So tell me about a little bit about your background and your personal mission. Yeah, I love that question. So I grew up in Austin, Texas, so I kind of love every honky Tonky thing about Texas, and I'd say I'm probably a little too prideful that I've roots in the greatest state in the union, in my opinion. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a third generation pastor. So uh, my dad was in ministry for for quite some time, and then you know, my grand my mom's uh, dad, my granddad, uh, was a pastor for multiple decades. So, and you know, the thing that was unique about that for me is that you know you hear a lot of times of of kids that grew up in ministry or parents were in ministry about having, you know, some of a kind of a negative experience with that. I was really fortunate to have an upbringing. I had a really healthy experience with, with ministry. Um, that was kind of all we knew we did as a family. And so 
I would say that really has, that's a big part of why when I kind of felt that nudge to, and uh, really a sense of calling to go into ministry, I didn't really, I didn't run from that. So, and I really didn't honestly expect that, that I would end up in children's ministry. And to be honest with you, kind of my big, I would say personal mission, uh, once that my ministry calling began to gain a little bit more clarity, I, I really, my, my heart and desire is to equip people to move outside of the four walls of the church to go and, and be Jesus wherever they're at and represent Jesus wherever they're at. So I didn't think that was going to be in kids ministry, though. Honestly, I felt like I was going to be a kind of mobilization pastor that may be a missions pastor, you know, huge heart for, uh, for the global church and reaching unengaged people. But I did not see that it was going to happen in children's ministry until um, I came out here to Saddleback, which I was actually doing a internship with, with Saddleback at the time. Uh, it was back in 2007 when I came out here and was working on our, our missions team. And towards the end of that, towards the end of my uh, season as an intern on the missions team, an opportunity opened up to, to help lead uh, our kids' small groups, which is our midweek discipleship program that we have here. And part of that was missions. And so missions was built into that. So I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I've got really two areas of passion, which children's ministry is part of my background. My dad was a children's pastor for a season in his life. Uh, my earliest ministry experience was around children's ministry, but I never really, you know, ended up connecting the dots until this opportunity came up for me to to help lead kids and point them to really mobilizing kids. And so all of a sudden here we have this this coupling of two areas of of passion and really desire to mobilize people, but I get to do it in the context of kids ministry. So I have a you know, passion for kids ministry, also a passion for mobilizing people, but I get to do it with the best group in the entire world with, with kids who their hearts and minds are moldable and pliable. And I can't think of a better time to influence and help build a foundation towards, you know, mobilizing and moving people outside of the core walls of the church within, you know, except with during the season that I'm in with kids. So that's, I guess, a little, maybe a, a condensed and also a long version. <laughs> yeah, well, in the kids' ministry, I always say it's the lifeblood of the church. If the kids are engaged and they want to come back, and yeah. it makes it for the easy, easier for the parents to want to go, and then that kind of snowballs, making people want to volunteer. And, and I always say the folks in the, the kids' ministry have the hardest job. Uh, because you're you're communicating one of the oldest messages known to man, uh, typically using technology that the younger kids are accustomed to. So cutting edge technology, o- oldest message, and again, you're wanting to keep them engaged. So I'm curious. You said you've got 2,000 volunteers helping you out. You've got, well, heck, it was over, I think, 60 different languages spoken at Saddleback. So I'm sure communication is key in this. Could you maybe, Sean, explain to me what are what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in your classrooms today? Yeah, those are those are great questions. Man, there's so many different things. It's funny because uh, when I was kind of thinking through this this question earlier, what uh, I you know I had multiple things come to mind, and the reality is kids are wrestling with a lot of stuff nowadays, and and I'm sure every generation has said of younger generations, well, I didn't have to face that as a kid, but I mean. 
my goodness, kids are growing up in like a very different world than, than I myself did. Kids today are faced with so much just via social media with like in high school and middle school where you need to address with them head on some of the topics of just bullying and making sure they feel like they're in a safe space at church to openly talk about the pressures of their world. Because I think a lot of parents don't get it. They're, they're in so many different worlds when they're popping in and out of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and a lot of things are going on in those places that we don't typically realize as parents. And you don't see the stresses of that unless you proactively talk about it. Grant, I would say that one challenge I would that we're seeing in the classroom and our kids are wrestling with is really kind of a, a question around what's my identity. I, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. a timeless that's a timeless challenge, right? I mean, on a deep soul level, every single person on the planet in their lifetime has asked and wrestled through the questions like, who am I? Do I belong? What's the significance of my life? I mean, that's just part of being human, right? But preteen kids and teenagers with every chemical and hormonal craziness that's going on in their body, they encounter this, these questions in, in a profound way. And that's, that's just part of the developmental process. But I would venture to say that there seems to be a heightened sense of identity confusion. And I'm not, it's, I'm not talking about gender identity. I mean, sure, yeah, that's probably very well part of the conversation. But the wrestling around what, who, who am I? What's, do, do I belong? What's my significance in life? I mean, those are normal. But I feel like there's a heightened sense of identity confusion. I mean, and I think why? And I, I, I honestly, I think it's going to take more wisdom than I have to, to really expand on the reasons of why. But I, I've kind of theorized around this that a part of that is a heightened exposure to just an immense amount of information about yeah. and what culture and society projects, what they, what mm-hmm. culture and society accepts and, and expects of kids. So kids have like crazy amounts of access to information uh, that to, to see and digest uh, than they've, I think than any other generation really has had. And you're probably very, very aware of that just in the, you know, in, in what you're doing with, with your life in the industry that you're in. It, so there's all this technology, all this information is at their fingertips and, and at least within earshot, because if, if they don't have access to it on their own device, man, they're, they're at least hearing it discussed at school um, or, or in the home. But whatever they want, they can watch, they can listen to, and then naturally they're going to be processing through it. I think the challenge then becomes that they may not have access to the, to the right or at least safe people to process through the information that they're getting. And that can lead to a great and I think even unnecessary confusion around identity. And so today, kids have this heightened exposure to what they aren't and who they aren't because I think within their fragile and pliable minds, they take whatever they hear and see as absolute truth. And I think that's one of the amazing things about kids is that they, they take and see it. And yes, that is black and white. But one of the challenges with that is, is it, can be, it's, it can be dangerous too. And so when that information, that culture and society pushes out through the many different content, uh, conduits that it goes out in, when it's not coming from a, like a deep, a good, a clean well of truth, or I think at least filtered through a healthy perspective, I think great damage can be done to their identity. So, so for me, I, Grant, small role that I 
uh, play and that my team plays that I hope that we're able to fill is to really provide uh, maybe a different perspective to kids that will hopefully reinforce that, one, they were made by God, they're known by God, they're loved by God, and they have great worth to God. And I think as this truth is consistently and uh, really gradually re- reinforced, and I think this is important here, in, in community, in healthy community, through those various relationships they have, whether those are at home, at school, on the playground, over time, my, my big hope is that they develop an understanding that when their identity is rooted in Christ, then that's, that's going to change everything. And it's no person, no culture, no society can ever really change that. I mean, of course, it's easier said than done. But uh, yeah, I, I think that identity piece, it's, it's in really because of that access to the information kids have, it can really get convoluted and crazy and confusing really quick. And it's so important to have those voices of truth or of reason and that are safe and, and healthy perspectives to have. And I, that's, I'm grateful that we as a, as a staff get to help uh, create an environment where kids can come to and feel safe and, and talk and, and learn about who, who they are. And then, you know, as you mentioned with our, our volunteers, we lean heavy on our volunteers. You know, as I said, earlier, our job is to really equip and create opportunities uh, for our volunteers to create connections with kids and develop relationships. Because we believe that growth really happens through relationship. One, one with, uh, with Christ Jesus, through relationship with God, but also with other people. I mean, we're not going to grow if we're not connected to other people, hear different perspectives, and it'll wrestle through it. But our hope is that it's going to be, you know, ground that perspective is going to be grounded in in truth that we we find in, in god's word i think that's fascinating the identity i don't know i want to call it a crisis just maybe identity confusion because of the just immense amount of information we were recently at orange and you were too sean and i don't know if you went to the breakout session they had a facebook executive there and she was talking about just social media in general. And yeah. her, her, I, I thought it was interesting. Her perspective is if, if you've got kids that are, are posting, use that post to start a conversation because mm-hmm. typically in that post is something that they care about. So if you say, Hey, look, I saw you post about X. Tell me a little bit more about that. It's a good way to engage and start the conversation. If you feel like, uh, you need to help guide them. And I think that was really practical advice that yeah. I loved hearing. And I, I think a lot of folks in the room love to hear because my, my follow-up question is, okay, that's the problem. What's the solution? Tell me, like, how are you combating this? And you got volunteers that have that one-on-one time with the kids and can help guide them. Is there anything else that you're you're doing as part of your curriculum or what you're teaching in the classrooms to to help guide these kids along? Yeah, so how we are structured as a ministry, we've got um, two kind of components of, of Saddleback Kids that help and kids, one, get, get connected to God and get connected with others and you know, growing in a relationship with Christ while growing in a relationship with others. But one of those things is our weekend services. You know, so our weekend services um, happen, we call them weekends, because for us, it, we're doing uh, services on, on Saturday and on Sunday as well. Um, but another place where relationships are able to, to develop and grow and spiritual growth is able to, to take place is on our midweek discipleship groups that we call kids small groups. So those are really two of the arenas 
so to speak, where we want to be super intentional with one, uh, teaching kids about who, who God is, who, who Jesus Christ is and what, uh, his relationship is with us and what our relationship can be, uh, with him. Cause we're spread out at multiple campuses, Grant. We use video-based curriculum, uh, just to keep the, the messaging, the most important parts of the messaging and what we're trying to teach, we want to keep that consistent across all campuses. Um, and that's not to say that we don't have great teachers at each of our campuses, because we do. We have an amazing teachers and, and guys that are very gifted in being able to communicate to kids. Uh, but we just, we really, we still we really value the consistency of that messaging being presented in a way that um, we can you know, so on and so forth, control, making sure that it's, it's done well. But we use, that will be the teaching component of, so that could be like a 10, 10 minute video that we're teaching uh, the Bible story and also the application piece to the kids. We'll usually do four to five week series with the kids on specific things. So we just got done with our Easter series, which ran four weeks. And then we uh, are moving in, you know, we're in a new series now on Acts. And so on the uh, uh, just some of the amazing things of the early church that happened. So uh, that happens on a weekend. Um, then, But it's more than just 10 minutes of teaching content. The, where our volunteers come and play is uh, they're going to then break down the, the content of the, the message um, and the teaching with the kids. Uh, they're going to kind of dissect that within connection groups. We do it all in age-appropriate spaces and places. So some of the older kids are going to have those connection groups are going to look a lot different from what our, you know, four- and five-year-old kids' connection groups are going to look like. But that, that takes place there. But then our kids' small groups kind of runs on a different – it runs on a whole different curriculum. And uh, those kids' small groups are available for kids pre-K all the way to sixth grade. Some of our campuses go up to fifth grade. It just depends on the school district that, that they're in. But the early part, so from uh, pre-K all the way to our second graders, they're really learning about who God is. So they're, we're looking at uh, the first pre-K and kindergarten are going through the Old Testament. So learning about who God is, why, why should we worship God? And then in uh, first and second grade, they're learning about New Testament. So they're seeing Jesus in the, in the New Testament. Um, and also, we're obviously pointing to Jesus in the Old Testament as well, but we're spending a bit more time in New Testament. And then when they get to third grade, uh, they're going to start learning about the purposes of the church. So, you know, we're a purpose-driven church. We're built around five purposes. One purpose is belonging. Uh, so that fellowship piece, uh, other uh, purposes grow, grow in your relationship with Christ. Another purpose would be serve. So start using God's, you know, your unique gifts that God's given you to serve in the church. And then 401 is, is sharing. How do we share our faith? How do we, how do we talk about that with our friends and our, our family? So the kids in third through sixth grade are learning those, those four things. So that, and the cool thing about our, what I love about our kids small groups, all of it's happening within relationship with other kids. It's happening in relationship with their leaders. Uh, our leaders that serve in kids small groups, will, a lot of them will actually start with a group in pre-K and they'll actually follow them all the way through sixth grade, which is super powerful. So you can imagine the relationships that are, are formed and developed through, you know, that eight year track that, that some of these leaders and that the kids, kids are able to develop with each other through that, through that time together. Yeah. I want to touch on that. So the volunteer aspect, getting and keeping volunteers is critical, especially in creating that relationship. That theme has come up over and over again, because if a volunteer is there every week, it, yeah. it shows the kids that that volunteer cares. If the volunteer yeah. is there maybe once a month, 
then I don't think there's an opportunity to really create a safe place for a productive conversation to happen, a guiding conversation. So, Sean, maybe you can talk a little bit about, like, how do you guys get new volunteers and how, how do you keep volunteers? Is there some sort of secret playbook that you guys are abiding by or is it a, a simple rubric that has really worked well over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think collectively as, as a church, we're kind of all trying to figure that out together because uh, we, we run and operate off of volunteers. And, you know, what I've seen is best practices of a lot of great churches and, and one that we've kind of been able to develop ourselves is it really starts with the power of, of an ask, of, of simply reaching out a face-to-face ask. Um, and inviting somebody into something. And I think that's really important that, you know, we can, we can cast vision all day long from the platform of, hey, yeah, go serve in, in children's ministry. It's the best thing ever. Uh, that's one thing. But also, you know, the challenge of just a platform ask out to the congregation or members and attenders is there is a natural disconnect. You know, that ask is coming from the platform and everybody else is, is hearing it from, from the audience versus that one-on-one ask from whether that's one of my staff talking to somebody or one of our, our biggest recruiters, honestly, are our own volunteers. Part of our recruitment strategy is for our volunteers to champion Saddleback kids to their to their friends and inviting them in, into it as well. And so a lot of times we'll see our volunteers um, actively recruiting others just because they're talking about it. Hey, yeah, I served. You know, they're talking about in the workplace. Yeah, I, I serve at uh, in the children's ministry at Saddleback Church. And then, you know, lo and behold, that conversation, you know, evolves into, hey, man, I, you know, I know you, you go to church, you're looking for a church home with, you know, love, love for you to, you know, consider Saddleback Church is your, your church family. I've seen how you've interact, interacted with, uh, with kids. Uh, man, I think you'd be great serving in, in kids ministry. And some people have never even thought twice about serving in, in children's ministry, but all of a sudden they take a step because they were asked by somebody to do it. And what that face-to-face ask requires you requires that person to do is actually give them an answer. You know, it's easy to dismiss it and uh, say, oh, yeah, well, somebody else will do it when they hear it from the platform. Oh, somebody else will cover that. But, man, when somebody directly asks you the question, do you uh, do you want to come into this? Do you want, I want to invite you to come into this? They're forced to ask to really think about it and consider it, right? And there's multiple other ways that you can recruit, but, man, that is, I think, by far the greatest uh, and probably most effective way to actually recruit people into something is by extending a, extending a hand, extending a personal invite into something. Mm-hmm. And for some people, they, you know, they step into it and realize, man, this is really not my shape. I, I'm, not, I'm not cut out to be in kids ministry. Well, there's something they can do. And so, you know, our goal is going to always be to help them find the place that they're shaped and gifted to serve in. We don't want to force somebody. I mean, you can't, can't force a, a, a square peg into a round hole. And I mean, a lot of times we can, we'll see that we want to give space and, and grace for that to take place. But a lot of times people never realized some of the gifts they had until they actually got in and started serving. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm sold. I'm bought into this. But we really also want to create a, you know, when it comes down to retention, because it's one thing to get somebody in, we, we can get people to come in and, and to serve. But the big thing is, how do we make sure that back door is closed? You know, a lot of times we can have that big, big front door and uh, that back door can be just as big. And so I think our, our hope is that we really do create 
um, a really tight back door. You know, like there's some extremely, you know, valid reason for them to have to step out of, of the ministry versus, you know, what I just didn't feel connected. So our, our hope with retention is that they see Saddleback kids, they see the ministry that they serve in as their family. And we use that word a lot, family. We use it at Saddleback Church on the weekend on the platform. We're using family because we want to create a sense of, listen, this is more than just a place that you come and, and hang out for like an hour and a half on the weekend. This is your this is your church family. And so even that language that we use. So we try to use that a lot in Saddleback Kids of, of um, uh, we want them to feel like they're part of a family, like they're, they're naturally going to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. We're a part of a big organization. We're part of a really big church. And for a lot of people that maybe didn't grow up with a church experience where, man, it was a, it's a huge place. It can feel overwhelming sometimes, especially at our, at our Lake Forest campus, which is our broadcast campus. You can get lost in a sea of people, but when you're connected and plugged into a ministry like Saddleback Kids or really within any other ministry at our church, uh, you're going to experience your pastoral care, you know, from um, this team, you know, and so we see our volunteers as our family. We see our volunteers as our our people that we're uh, to, you know, not only build into and equip and empower, but really also to shepherd and come alongside. So I for me personally, you know, when I've kind of felt like I kind of had finally arrived, so to speak, in relationships with the volunteers, when all of a sudden they started asking me to, I had a volunteer reach out to me, uh, his wife had had Alzheimer's and uh, was not doing good. And he, a couple of months before she finally passed away, said, hey, would you, he said, Sean, would you, would you do um, her funeral? And showing, to be able to show up in pain, I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's what it's all about. So for that was a that was a sweet moment for me. But man, we want to we want to be we want to be able to shepherd and be present for for our family, and that's our volunteers. So I think yeah. that can help yeah. with that retention piece. And of course, Grant, there's going to be the the training pieces. We want to make sure that they're well equipped, and we're going to do our best on on how we equip them very, with very practical tips. Well, the training piece is always interesting to me. Because I have a hypothesis, I was a substitute teacher for many years, and I was the building sub. So I'd go into a brand new classroom every day almost, and this was first through fifth grade. I found that the teacher that left me the most detailed lesson plans and guides, uh, the, it was a much more uh, invigorating, enjoying experience. And the teacher that basically had no lesson plan and it was kind of like, you know, just here's the times where you need to do math. But there was not really a lot of details around that or maybe not a lot of content around that. It, it made it trying at times and you did and you kind of steered clear of those classrooms. So um, my my thing is like you mentioned the video content that you consistently use across the campus for messaging. My hypothesis is that really helps the volunteer, especially the new one coming in and then retention where they've got that concrete lesson plan where they feel like, Hey, I can go in and teach this and connect with the kids. Uh, and, and to me, that's a really big one for, for the training piece that I see some churches have and some churches don't have. And then you've got this, are the volunteers coming back and are they staying? And this is kind of like the central critical piece to it all. And I believe that's really has to do with the, the curriculum, just having had that experience as a substitute teacher. Have you noticed those same type of things uh, within your classroom? Yeah, absolutely. 
because that it's it's the worst thing ever to come into a classroom don't have an idea what's really going to happen you know i've got these i've got these kids for an hour and a half and i don't really have a plan i don't really know what's going to do i mean can you i mean you, you've been there and done that and i, I have yeah. i've i've had experiences like that too it, it's yeah. not really fighting you know you don't want to keep on coming back to that so i think our our job our role is to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that our leaders feel like they can hit a home run every week. Even if that yeah. means that yeah. they only okay. spent 10 minutes preparing. I mean, honestly, our, our hope is that they're spending a little bit longer than 10 minutes preparing, especially if they're teaching. But even if they only had 15 minutes for, to prepare, I want them to still feel like they can walk away feeling like, you know what, that was, that was impactful. So we want to do everything we can. So that's, yeah, that's lesson plans. We're, and we're going to make it as easy as possible. Even if that means for our three-year-old kiddos, for however we're going to retell the Bible story that they just saw on the video, uh, we've got the script right there for them. So of course we want our leaders to know it and to understand it before they're coming in the classroom so that they can add their own unique style and flavor to it. But only if they just read right off the script. Yeah, we want to do everything we can to make them feel like they're uh, it's a win every single week. So they don't have to feel this burden of, oh my gosh, I've got to come up with the entire flow of the of the classroom. Yeah. But you know, and then also, you know, that practical tips too on for training our, our leaders is what is not only classroom management look like, but what is how do you, how do I discipline? Like, do I discipline? What do I, what can I say? What can I say? Yeah. Um, you know, how do I handle this conversation? You know, with more and more kids coming into our, our environments with, uh, with disabilities, kids with disabilities, what does that look like? If, if I'm having a kid with behavioral issues, how do, how do our leaders engage that without creating a crazy, um, unnecessary interaction with not only the kid, but then later with the parents too? I don't want to troubleshoot and think through, I mean, what is every, everything that uh, somebody that doesn't have any experience with kids ministry, how can they come in here and feel like they are, have been successful with that, with the two hours of time that they've, you know, committed to be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it, it does. And you made some really great points there. The most terrifying feeling in my life has been losing control of a group of second graders. <laughs> man, if oh, you're man. in a classroom and something goes wrong and you've got 20 second graders and you lose the classroom, oh boy, there's nothing like anxiety there. And a lot of people are afraid of public speaking. And then you step it up a notch and say, not only are you public speaking, but it's in front of a bunch of second graders. So you have to empower them to feel comfortable. And it, yeah. and it sounds like you guys are doing that. And kudos to you, Sean. And I, I, I'd love to kind of shift gears and talk a little bit more about your organization in the next few years. One of the topics on our podcast is where are we going? And I'd love to hear from your perspective. If you jumped in the DeLorean with Doc Brown and you punched in 2023 and went to Saddleback, what what are you going to see? Like what ways is your church going to evolve? As a ministry, you know, as, as for Saddleback Kids and, and children's ministry in particular, you know, I, I would hope that we are continuing to stay the course towards uh, engaging the the real issues that kids are, are facing and, and dealing with and not being afraid to talk about them. How are we, 
how are we engaging that? And that's not just to stay relevant, but really to address some of the, the felt needs. But not only then empowering our volunteers, but then also how are we coming alongside moms and dads? How long, how are we coming alongside parents, uh, grandparents, caregivers of the kids, um, even even teachers? You know, with some of the the hotbed topics that are going around just within within society today, what what are we doing to be a part of the conversation and uh, help equip and empower? What's good, what is the church going to look like in 10 years from now? You know, my hope is that we are a safe place, a, a space and a place where you can be authentic. I mean, that's really one of our church's big values is authenticity. Uh, we we want to be a place where we can have uh, tough conversations and feel safe to be able to do that. One of our values is second chance grace place. You know, we want to be a, a place where where anybody can come to and feel like, okay, I can be a part of this. I don't have to. I don't have to put on performance in the show. I think that's what people need is just authentic relationships. And I know that you know that's probably been a buzzword is authenticity. You know, over the over the years, over these last several years. But but truly, I mean, God, we've always wanted authentic relationships. That not that's not and that you know authenticity is not something new. I mean. <laughs> I think every person in history has wanted authenticity and relationship. But I would hope that the church continues to be a place where we can have safe conversations on even topics that we may disagree on with other people. You know, that uh, I think we need more of that to be a place that we can sit down and have have good, authentic conversations where at the end of the end of the conversation, we may agree, but we're going to agree to disagree. And I'm going to continue to love you and at, maybe even at, at, at great cost, continue to support you in in who you are and in in what you are does that make sense yeah it does a lot of the conversations that we had at we our team has gone to catalyst west we went to the orange conference and it's making the church a safe place to have those conversations and be authentic because many times in the youth ministry there are a lot of very tough topics to be talking about uh, that are yeah. facing our kids today. And as leaders, you can't shy away from that. Yeah. And it is a different time than it was maybe even 10, 15 years ago. And if we go full circle to your comments about the access to information that kids have. At never a yeah. point in time as information been as readily available to an eight-year-old. Uh, right. <laughs> like, and, and when that happens, there, you as a leader need to be able to address that. And are you equipped to address that? And they're going to be asking a lot of tough questions at a lot earlier of an age where you're just going, if you're not ready and you boot, then you might lose the opportunity to make a difference. So your answer to that was perfect. Uh, Sean, I appreciate the time you spent on the podcast today. The, the last question I always wrap up all of my talks with is books. I'm a huge bookworm, and I, I love hearing what people are reading. What books do you find recommending the most to people, or what books do you always kind of go back to as inspiration? Yeah, I've I've become a really massive fan of Audible lately. So to be able to like listen to a book at like two times the speed, you know, it's like I'm able to actually get. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's like changed my life. So, anyways, in my in my queue right now, there's there's a couple 
that I've listened to. One one book has been The Power of Moments. I don't know if you've heard of that one by Chip Heath and Keith. Uh, the subtitle, it's, so it's called The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. So just uh, how do you, how do we create experiences that are going to be, you know, game changers in people's, people's lives? It's a great book. Really enjoyed that one. Uh, another one that uh, has been pretty impactful for me personally is it's called Win, and the subtitle is The Scientific Secrets of Perfecting Timing by Daniel Pink. It's really fascinating just talking about uh, when's, when's the best time to do things. You know, so he's even talking about, you know, some people are morning people and some people are night owls. And here's why that takes place. And here's how you can use that to your advantage. That was, that's been a really interesting read, listen for me. Um, and I'll, I'll say this last one too, because it's really been an impactful book. Uh, our former children's pastor at Saddleback Church, Steve Adams, wrote a book called The Children's Ministry on Purpose. So it's a it's another version of Pastor Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church, but really uh, specifically on how do you can you operate uh, that philosophy of ministry of purpose driven within a children's ministry. So that's been a really pra- it's a great practical book for for children's ministry leaders. If there's anybody that's listening today or whenever you listen to this, uh, that's a, been a really great read for me and super helpful. So I think those are the those are the three right now that I've, I would definitely say there's there's a whole other assortment of them. But yeah, I'm sold on when. So that's actually my cue, and I think. Like you always hear, like uh, timing is everything, and this book seems like gets in delves into that a little bit deeper. And so uh, I'm gonna add all these to the show notes so people can check it out. Uh, I'm bumping nice. up when in my queue. <laughs> so yeah. Thank yeah. you, Sean, for that. And yeah. I appreciate your time today, brother. It's been a blast. Thank you for sharing, and uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me on. For more ideas or to simply learn more about today's podcast, visit us online at www.playlister.app forward slash podcast.